Welcome, welcome. This is the Rebel Alliance podcast, and with you as always are Nate and Chris. How are you doing today, Chris? I am doing excellent. How are you doing today, Nate? I'm, I'm doing well. I'm not as well rested as I normally am. Uh, for a lot of our listeners, uh, we, my wife Colleen and I actually just had our second child. So uh, Judah Michael Wright was introduced to the world a little while ago, which is one of the reasons that we didn't uh, release a podcast last week. But, uh, you know... Second kid changes a lot, Chris. <laughs> I can I can actually see it on you. Yeah, seriously. Just like you look tired, you look flustered, your hair's not quite le- perfectly quaffed like yep. normal. I'm telling you, it's uh, yeah less sleep because the first one still gets up at regular time, right? There's no sleeping <laughs> in, there's no catching up. So those are some gray hairs I'm starting to see develop on your head, which is nice. Yep. Yep. I'm catching up me. to you. <laughs> <laughs> You've got a long way to go if you want to catch up to the amount of gray yeah. I have. Yeah, that's uh, that's for sure. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's one of the things that's new with us. Uh, also, the Rebels, we did not release a podcast last week, but we hope you guys enjoyed the uh, part one and two Q&A that we had with uh, Dr. Kostenberger. Um, those Q&A sessions were just brilliant, eh, Chris? Absolutely. Like not, not brilliant for our content like dr kostenberger is brilliant yeah I, I not what we said we were we just helped him we asked him display how great his mind is yeah um i actually had somebody this week tell me that just listening to him speak blew their mind and i was like and i asked like oh is it like what he was saying they're just like no the level of thought and process the way he can just like takes take a question answer the question and then answer the root of the question yeah. without even thinking about it prior is just mind boggling. Yeah. I was just like, yeah, he's on a whole new level to me basically. In terms well, of yeah, I, I felt that too. I mean, we got to spend a little bit of time with him over the course of the conference and the, the Q and a and uh, some of the other stuff he did with us and, uh, and just talking to him in the car rides and, and over lunch and just all that kind of stuff. I mean, he's, 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 he really is just a gift to the church. Like, you know what I mean? God, God blessed his mind in a way that is far superior to the rest of our minds. And yes. uh, we're so thankful he's on our side. See, doesn't it help though, that he also pointed out that his favorite sport is soccer. And so we know, we just admitted that he's brilliant beyond us. And he recognizes that soccer is the best sport. So doesn't that convict you a little bit about your baseball? And no, no, no. It just, it, it just reminds me that not everybody's perfect. Um, because <laughs> if anybody was, was perfect and had everything figured out, then they'd have something to boast in, Chris. But uh, as we're going to talk about today, Pastored. We've, all, we've all fallen short of the glory of God and Kostenberger falls short by loving soccer. <laughs> All right. Um, so I thought we'd do something different. We normally start with an opening question or we, we do our segment, What's in the Bin? But uh, as you know, we've been talking uh, our way through the grand narrative of Scripture. Uh, and so uh, this is actually episode 20. Yeah. Yeah, I was, I was expecting more, but I guess it's just you and I here. So, so that's, a, that's a good little cheer. Maybe we can dub in in the recording like a crowd cheering. Yeah, or something. so that people think no. that we record this live in front of a, a packed <laughs> audience. Packed stadium audience. Yeah. Um, yeah, so this is episode 20, and uh, we've been talking our way through the grand narrative of Scripture. And, uh, and so what we wanted to, uh, what I thought we'd start with is uh, I found on the Gospel Coalition blog uh, just a list of some, uh, most of these names will probably be familiar to you. Most of these are authors and pastors and uh, theologians and scholars. They're all asked, what is the story of the Bible in one sentence? Oh, that's great. Okay, so I'll, I'll go through them with you. And, and my question to you, Chris, is which one's your favorite? So who do you think nails it the best? And then I'll also, follow-up question, who butchered it? <laughs> now, all these guys are smarter than us, so, so we don't mean to be disrespectful. And they're, they're probably all listening, so yeah, yeah be exactly. careful here. So, okay, so, 
Craig Blomberg says it this way, God is in the process of recreating the universe, which has been corrupted by sin and has made it possible for all those and only those who follow Jesus to be part of the magnificent eternal community that will result. There you go. Okay, there's one. That's good. Daryl Bach says this, The Bible tells how a loving creator God restored a lost humanity and cosmos through reestablishing his rule through Jesus Christ and the provision of life to his honor. Mark Dever, one of your boys, says it this way, God has made promises to bring his people to himself and he is in the process of fulfilling all of them through Jesus Christ. Simple, brilliant. Brilliant. Uh, Kevin DeYoung A holy God sends his righteous son to die for unrighteous sinners so we can be holy and live happily with God forever. John Frame, God glorifies himself in the redemption of sinners. Really to the point. David Helm says the big story of the Bible is simply this. Jesus is the promised Savior King. Paul House says... Uh, The movement in history from creation to new creation through the redemptive work of Father, Son, and Spirit who saves and changes corrupted people and places for his glory and their good. Who who was that? Sorry. That was Paul House. Uh, Kent Hughes says it this way. God is redeeming his creation by bringing it under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Uh, Gordon, I don't actually know uh, Gordon Hugenberger. But I thought this was a great answer. So I don't know who it was on the Gospel Coalition. I think it was Jared Wilson who was asking all these guys this question. But uh, Gordon Hugenberger, he responds this way. He says, The message of the Bible in one sentence is that genuine truth, unlike every human philosophy, is far too luxuriant, too enthralling, too personal, too all-encompassing, too sovereign, and too life-changing to be reducible to one sentence. (laughs) Well played. Well played. Fair way not to answer the question. Yeah. Nice. Well done. Uh, Here's our boy, Andreas Kostenberger. So Kostenberger says that the big story of the Bible, and he kind of cops out a little bit, but we just said he's brilliant, so cop out is probably the smart way to go. He says, uh, big story of the Bible in one sentence is, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but has eternal life. Kostenberg's smart enough to go and take a verse to just do it for us. Uh, Ray Ortland says it this way. He says, the lover of our souls won't let romance die but is rekindling it forever. Yeah, it's a little sentimental for me, but too, uh, too but I do love Ray Ortland. Yeah, too too touchy feely for you, eh? Grant Osborne says God created mankind in order to love them, but we all rejected His love. So God sent His Son to bear our sins on the cross in order that by believing in His sacrificial atonement we might have eternal life. Thomas Schreiner says, God reigns over all things for his glory, but we will only enjoy his saving reign in the new heavens and the new earth if we repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the crucified and risen Lord, who gave himself on the cross for our salvation. Here's one of your boys, Paul Tripp. I love the trip. He says, the main message of the Bible is that the one true God is displaying his glory primarily in the redeeming and restoring his fa- of his fallen creation by fulfilling his covenant promises and commands through the glorious person and atoning work of Christ. And then uh, I think this one's my favorite. You'll see why in a second. But here's Tipping my, your hand here. Yeah, here's, here's my boy Doug Wilson. And he says, Scripture tells us the story of how a garden is transformed into a garden city. 
but only after a dragon had turned that garden into a howling wilderness, a haunt of owls and jackals, which lasted until an appointed warrior came to slay the dragon, giving up his own life in the process, but with his blood affecting the transformation of the wilderness into that garden city. Can, can I just interject one second here? Yeah. Do you not think Wilson should write like some like nonfiction literature like, C.S. Lewis did. Yeah, like Narnia style. Like, just listening to that, I'm just like, man, he would probably write amazing novels. Totally, yeah. And like, just... Well, his, his son, right, N.D. Wilson, He's he wrote uh, Outlaws of Time and uh, and that Cupboards book, something, A Thousand Cupboards or something. How do I not know this? Oh, he's, he's good. Um, you probably know him from Notes from the tilt world but his fiction, he's got a lot of, of fiction that's, that's pretty solid. There you go. Just blew your mind. There's my August. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, th- so that's what uh, that's what the Gospel Coalition gave. There were a couple others, but uh, but I just kind of grabbed some of the names that would uh, stand out to us and to some of our listeners. Which one's your favorite? Well, I, I need you to read two of them again. Okay. Um, I need you to read Trip again. Yep. I need you to read Hughes again. Yep. And I need you to read Frame again. Okay. So John Frames was just simply uh, God glorifies Himself in the redemption of sinners. I do like the simplicity of that. Yeah. Uh, Kent Hughes said, God is redeeming his creation by bringing it under the lordship of Christ. And then your your boy, Paul Tripp, says, uh, the main message of the Bible is that w- the one true God is displaying his glory primarily in the redeeming and restoring of his fallen creation by fulfilling his covenant promises and commands through the glorious person and atoning work of Jesus Christ. I'm going to have to say Hughes is my favorite. Nice. I wanted to pick Trip. Trip would be probably my personal favorite favorite one. But if, if I had to sum everything up, I want to avoid using words like covenant and right, atonement. Right, right. Just because people don't, wouldn't necessarily know what Right, you're trying mean. to boil this down for Where simplicity's sake. Exactly. Hughes kind of gets it within like one breath. Yeah. God is redeeming creation by bringing it under the lordship of Jesus Christ. What else is there? Yeah, that's solid. So. And actually, that's going to kind of feed into what we're talking about today. Uh, we are doing this, uh, this mini-series on the grand narrative of scripture. And just before we kind of launch into today's thing, we just want to take a second here to remind our our listeners uh, that we are so thankful uh, for you listening to the Rebel Alliance podcast. And we would just invite you to, to, to be part of what we're doing. Uh, if you're listening to us on iTunes, just take a second, pre- press pause and, uh, and go over to uh, the ratings and reviews. Give us a five-star review. Uh, give us a, uh, uh, or sorry, a five-star rating and give us a review. It just helps uh, people find this podcast. And if you are uh, listening on Facebook through the videos that we put there, just uh, like and comment and share uh, the videos uh, and the podcasts that go out there. It just helps expand our audience and helps uh, more people listen to uh, hopefully the good gospel content that we're putting out there. So uh, that's my little plug. But today, Chris, we're talking about uh, number three in kind of the grand narrative of Scripture. Uh, so we just talked about some of the theologians and how they boil down the big the big story of the Bible, and we're doing it through the four kind of chapters in the story, that is creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. So we've gone through uh, creation and fall. Why don't you just kind of sum up for us a little bit of what we've talked about in the last two weeks? Do I have to I'll try to do it in as few words as possible? Yeah. So God, in his glory and his wisdom, created earth, created man to glorify himself. Man screwed it up. God, now God's found a way to bring that back to himself. So concise. I like it. You're, you're, you're learning from our, uh, Bible in one sentence guys. (laughs) Well, well, I, uh, I practiced with, with, in our small group this week with Genesis, trying to sum it up in like three words, man, God created man screwed up. 
God found a way. Nice. So. Solid. So, um, so we finished last, last uh, podcast when we were talking about the fall. Uh, we read through Genesis 3. <clears throat> and, uh, and, and one of the things we just kind of alluded to, which really gets to the heart of what we're talking about today, is that, uh, you know, kind of 10 minutes after the world falls apart, <laughs> um, God makes a promise, and it's the promise of redemption. It's the promise that there will be redemption. And it comes in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And so there's this this picture of the wounded conqueror, right? The wounded victor, the one who will take the the lethal blow to the heel in order to crush the head of the serpent who brought sin and death into the world uh, through his treachery and through uh, the temptation of uh, Adam and Eve. So the promise of redemption kind of comes while the world is still on fire. And, and before we kind of talk about redemption and where it's going i just want to want to make a point it it would have been tempting i think for adam and eve to look around at the world around them like 5 10 15 minutes even 15 days 30 days a year after the fall right after they actually were disobedient and got kicked out of the garden and being kicked out of the garden obviously would have been bad but the the transforming effects of sin entering the world didn't happen immediately Right, it happened gradually, and you even see that the um, that the generations after Adam and Eve, that inc- wickedness kind of increases in the world, right? So that by the time you get seven generations away, you get to Lamech, um, and he he boasts of his uh, his uh, violence and his vengeance uh, in in such a way that you see that the sin has been amplified. So I I say that because we're going to talk about redemption and restoration, which I think also comes in gradually. Um, but, but the, the, the curse and the sin, they came in immediately when sin happened, but the effects that they had on the world were gradual, right? So, um, so here we are, now we're in a screwed up world, and uh, there's this promise of redemption. And, uh, and I would just say that, the, just because we're trying to summarize the whole Bible, that you get a couple stories now, you get a couple stories of how man tries to save himself, right? Man tries to do it on his own. Yeah. So you get the story of the Tower of uh, Babel and, uh, and, and men kind of coming together saying that they're going to build a, a tower up to heaven. I remember you saying something that, uh, that caught my attention in small group one time when we were studying this, and, and you said that uh, they built this tower to the heavens. And then it says, the, the exact text says, but, and God came down and saw the tower. So it's like they built it high, but clearly not high enough because God <laughs> still had to come enough. down to see it. Um, they're, they're also doing everything opposite of what God has commanded them to do. They're trying to congregate together. So, yeah, yeah, no, uh, no, um, flesh that out together. A bit. Um, God has given them the command: go forth and multiply, um, spread to all the ends of the earth. That was the command given to Adam: go forth. And in the Tower of Babel, they do the complete opposite. They do that. They want to come together so that they don't get dispersed. It says, um, which verse is it? I don't have it right in front of me. One of the verses in there says that the, don't, not to be dispersed. They wanted to stay together to glorify their own name. So their own name would be great, right. which is the opposite of what we're supposed to be doing, which is go forth and multiply to glorify God. So they're doing the complete opposite thing. Right. So I think that's interesting. Um, I had somebody once tell me uh, in, in regards to the curse entering the world and how it would not look different, liking it to like a cold where it's like, you catch a cold and the, the symptoms kind of grow gradually 
And even the medicine, you start taking it, but the effects of the medicine take time to take over the cold as well. And I just thought that was an interesting way to look at Mm. fall to redemption. If we're trying to tie clearly the fall, slowly the symptoms of the virus will come back and take over the world. The medicine comes, but it doesn't immediately Interesting. Yeah, that's good. It just starts the process, right? Right. Um, so we'll just kind of walk through this real quick, obviously in there as well, uh, before, uh, Babel, we get the story of Noah, right? And so, like we said, the, the effects of sin are increasing on the earth. Wickedness increases on the earth. God destroys mankind, saving Noah. Uh, and what's interesting about that whole thing is that God destroys, uh, everyone except Noah and his family. Like he's starting over. This is the, this is almost a new Adam here. Right. And, uh, and immediately, you know, after the whole flood, the flood subsides, the first thing Noah does is he, he gets drunk and, and some, <laughs> some shady stuff goes down in the tent. Um, so again, what we're seeing is that man can't do it on, on their own. Man is going to continue to screw up. And we're, we're also seeing the point that like God is justice. He has to punish sin. So he's showing us in a, in a, in a almost like a overviewing picture of this process that, Man screws up, and I have to punish that yeah. because I am a just God. So he's the wages of sin is death. So he's showing that almost like in a grand narrative picture of that, right? So yeah, totally. With the story of Noah. Yeah, uh, we don't have time to go into it, but I, I, I always <laughs> find it, it, it's interesting how most Christians in their eschatology hold to a view that would say that God's going to destroy the earth. And I would just say, go back and read the story of Noah because, you know, God says, not only, I, I'm not going to destroy the earth with a flood again, and that's what they all point to. Oh, he's, this time he's going to do it with fire. And then, no, he actually specifically <laughs> says, I won't destroy the earth again. So the earth is now safe from God's wrath towards sin because he promises he's not going to do that again. Um, so just that's, that's just a little aside for free. But in verse 12, we see that God's going to start something new. He calls Abraham. And the covenant he makes with Abraham is, is not, I'm going to save you so that you can do this. He says, I'm going to do all this myself. Because <laughs> clearly, mankind can't do it. Adam and Eve failed. Noah failed. Uh, they they, they uh, failed at the Tower of Babel. Uh, look, I'm just going to do this myself. <laughs> and all of the, the requirements of this covenant fall onto God himself. He says, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless the earth through you. I'm going to get the nations through you. Yeah. He puts, he puts Abraham to sleep. So he takes all of the promise of the covenant on himself, right? right. So he swears by himself because there's only, th- the only thing God can swear by is himself, right? So he puts all of the emphasis and responsibility on himself. Pitcher, I'm going to do it for you guys. Right. You guys will mess it up. Right. So. so from Genesis 12 on to the end of Genesis, we're really getting kind of the history of, uh, of a family, which turns into a nation. So you get the, the story of God making a covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And uh, we don't have time to go into all of these things, but we'll just, we'll just hit on a couple quick things, right? So you get the story of, uh, of Abraham's willingness to sacrifice Isaac, right? And again, because we're, we're talking now about redemption— and what's interesting is that the creation was the first two chapters. Fall happens in the third chapter. But redemption, we're really talking about like 
90% of the Bible here. <laughs> so, um, so we have to kind of touch on a few of these parts. So Abraham's willingness to sacrifice Isaac, there's a lot of parallels that you see there, right? Absolutely. It's a, it's a three-day journey for them to get to the mountain where Isaac was going to be sacrificed. Isaac carries his own wood, the, own, the, the object uh, on which he's going to be sacrificed. So this is all picturing Christ. It's picturing Just the like redemption Christ that was going to come. That's right. Um, and, uh, and just like, you know, on the, on the, the mountain that would be Calvary, um, where God provided the sacrificial lamb, uh, so too, uh, God stills Abraham's hand, doesn't allow him to kill Isaac, and instead he provides the ram himself. And so, uh, we're getting pictures of what this redemption is going to look like, and we don't have time to go into all the details, but you get through the book of Genesis to the book of Exodus, and what do you see there, Chris? Book of Exodus, we see a picture of God taking his people from slavery, from death, from captivity, bringing them through the water to the promised land, into a land that's overflowing with abundance. And Moses is leading the people through God's command, redeeming them as they come out of slavery into Egypt. Right. And so you get this picture, right? Get a picture of it. You get a picture of um, God's people being uh, freed from slave from slavery and and bought back and and uh, and brought into the life that God uh, has for them. Uh, again, a picture of of Christ and what He will do, buying us out of our slavery to sin. And, and again, another picture of God doing all the work. Moses was the mouthpiece, but God did all the plagues. He was the one that did all of the miracles, all the work to get them out of Egypt. Right. They were helpless to do it themselves. Right. So then um, you get, uh, let's just summarize the rest of the Old Testament, <laughs> just so we're moving along here. But but essentially what, what you end up seeing, right, is is there's there's high watermarks and there's low, there's low points. But what you end up seeing through the rest of the Old Testament is the history of God's people once again being reminded that you can't do this on your own. So there's a couple things that you see over and over, right? So some of the big themes of the Old Testament. Number one, you can't do it on your own. You need someone else for your salvation. And God is the author of that salvation. Number two, someone is coming, right? That snake crusher that I promised right after the fall is still coming. He's going to be the ultimate redemption. He's going to be the ultimate uh, savior of the world. And then number three, you, you continue to see is this theme that Israel will be the means through which God reaches the nations. It's not just about God and Israel. It's about through Israel, God will get the nations. And we see this in a, in a variety of ways. I know right now in our church, we're studying through the book of Jonah, right? And you're seeing that God uses Jonah to go and, and, uh, and save a pagan city of Nineveh, um, enemies of God's people in Syria. So uh, anything you want to touch on on those kinds of themes that you see throughout the Old Testament? No, I just, I would, I always think the Old Testament unve un unveils almost through each book on almost each story shows an, a facet of what the redemption is going to be like. We right. see David, not the firstborn, lowly shepherd, not who people would have expected to be king. Right becomes king. Right. Um, we see that he's, David is a prophet also as well, which alludes to Christ being a prophet king. Yep. And we see that throughout scripture. We see lots of other things like Isaiah pointing out that the government will be on his shoulders forever. Just little, almost like peeking back the curtain to what it's going to be like when the Messiah comes. And we see that almost the whole way through the Old Testament as we continually see Israel, the people who are called to be 
a blessing to the whole world. Let's let's remember that Israel's mission isn't just to produce the Messiah. It's actually to be missionaries to the world, to show God's glory to the rest of the nations right. at that time. That's right. And they just fail miserably because they don't know what they're doing. Well, because like us, they turn inward, right? And they, they, they pursue their own comfort more than the mission of God, which is to, to get the nations. Exactly. And, uh, and I think that's important. Uh, a couple of things that you, you mentioned there, uh, I think that is a great theme to point out in the Old Testament because you see it all the time, right? So um, we, we'll see in a, in a few minutes when we get to the New Testament, we start talking about Christ and his redemption. He's, he's called the second Adam, right? He's the one through whom all of the effects of Adam's disobedience um, get reversed through Christ's obedience. Um, but there's allusions to that, right? So what we're saying here is that the Old Testament isn't just filler before Jesus comes. It's actually all history of God teaching specific lessons to his people and pointing to Jesus, right? So just like um, Ishmael, right, was uh, was the firstborn son of Abraham, but he was the um, he was uh, born of Hagar, right, when God promises Abraham and Sarah, and they think, oh, maybe God wants us to figure out how to do this on our own <laughs> instead of doing a miraculous promise and giving me the son he promised. And so you see it's not Ishmael, but it's Isaac who's the son of the promise, right? It's not Esau, but it's Jacob who is. It's not um, Jesse's first six sons, but it's his seventh son, the youngest son, David. And so you're getting this, this uh, picture of the, the unlikely um, one who's called by God, right? Not based on outward appearance, uh, but as uh, Samuel says, uh, God looks at the heart. Yeah. So, so he's training Israel to essentially see the Messiah. And all these things are, are what we see, right? We just talked about Jonah, right? Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, showing Christ who would be in the belly of the earth, right? In the grave for th- uh, three days and three nights. We see uh, the Boaz, right? The kinsman redeemer, who Jesus is the ultimate kinsman redeemer, right? We see all these things, and all of it is pointing to Jesus because... Um, and what we're saying is that redemption, right, that, that's the piece of the grand narrative we're talking about today. Redemption isn't so much an idea, it is a person, and that person is Jesus. So before we get to the work of Jesus and how that is our redemption, let's just define redemption a little bit. The term redemption itself actually just means to buy back. Um, it's, it's associated with the term ransom. So if you're listening and, and you can think of like a, a kidnapping, right? Like you get, uh, you know, the, the parents of the child who's been abducted would be forced to pay a ransom in order to get their child back. And that's where we get this word redemption from. It means to buy back. So when we talk about redemption, what we're saying is it's God's plan to buy back what was lost. And so you have to ask the question, two things, what was lost? And I would say, First of all, we were lost, right? We belonged to God, but we rebelled. Number two, I think in a sense the world was lost. And, and where I'd go with this is that in Matthew chapter 4, <clears throat> we see Jesus goes into the, the wilderness and uh, he, where he's tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. Interestingly, right, the people of Israel wandered the desert for 40 years and emerged as disobedient as ever. <laughs> Jesus goes into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, and, uh, and his obedience is, is proven there. So he emerges from the wilderness, uh, the perfect Israelite. But uh, in the wilderness, it's, it's interesting, Satan tempts him three times. And the third temptation is, if you bow down, do you have it there? Do you want to just read... Uh, I saw you turn in there in Matthew chapter 4. Do you want to just read that third temptation? Yeah, absolutely. Just give me one second to grab it here for you. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain 
and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all of these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and, and him only shall serve you serve. And then the devil left him and behold, the angels came and were mis- ministering to him. So the temptation there is that Satan basically says to Jesus, if you bow down before me, I'll give you the nations, right? I'll give you the nations of earth, yeah. which is interesting because like I, I, we sometimes gloss over this. What Jesus doesn't say is, well, well, Satan, they're not yours to give. No, the, the assumption is that they are Satan's. Right. That, so at some point we gave it back to him. Right. And so I would, I would contend as we're looking at this grand narrative that what, what happened there is that in Adam's disobedience, right, we, we read it uh, a couple of episodes ago. God said, you know, Adam, have dominion, right? Fill the earth, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over it. Dominion implies ruling, it, 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 uh, ownership, right? Stewardship, really, is, is what we're talking about. So God gives the world to Adam, right? To Adam to steward, to care for, to have dominion over. And in his disobedience, Adam surrenders that. And he surrenders. So, so um, the idea here is that Christ had always come to redeem, to buy back the world that was surrendered to Satan when, um, when, he, uh, when Adam disobeyed. Yeah, and, so, and it's interesting, if you ever looked at just the temptations of Jesus, the three temptations all kind of allude to the three realms that we can be tempted. Physical, Jesus hadn't eaten for 40 days, the same temptation that Adam falls to, like food, Jesus overcomes that. Then he overcomes the second temptation. And then the third one is what Jesus's mission was, like the mission of the church, the mission of Israel, the nations, getting God's glory to the nations, go forth, multiply the kingdom to the nations. And Jesus overcomes that by not bowing down to Satan, obviously. Um, And then he earns back the right there to to go back and take what is his in in the first place. Right. They, it implies that they were Satan's at that point. Yeah, and I think uh, another place we get that, just so we're not proof texting here, is if you go to <laughs> Matthew chapter 12, um, so Jesus has uh, an encounter with a demon-possessed man, casts out the demon. The Pharisees accuse Jesus of essentially casting out a demon by the power of Satan, right? Um, and uh, it's interesting because Jesus, uh, knowing their thoughts, it says in verse 25 of Matthew chapter 12, it says, knowing their thoughts... He said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid to waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? So first of all, Jesus just uses a logical argument. He says, <laughs> if, I, you know, if I'm casting out demons by the power of demons, then you know, Satan's kingdom isn't going to expand here. So note, the theme that he's talking about here is the kingdoms, right? My kingdom versus Satan's kingdom, right? He's talking about kingdoms divided. And then verse 27, he says, If I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So there you go. Kingdom of God is here. Jesus brought it first century. It's there because we know that Jesus did cast out demons by the power of God. And he says, How can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. 
So I think what you're what you're seeing there, if you go into the text, and I would just invite our, our listeners to go ahead and, and read that on their own and ask themselves, well, who's the strong man that he's talking about? Well, in, in the context here, he's talking about his kingdom versus Satan's kingdom. The strong man in that parable is Satan. What Jesus is talking about is that he comes, and in 1 John, Jesus says it very clearly. He says that he came into the world to destroy the works of the devil. So his the point here is Jesus came into the world to bind up the strong man so that his kingdom could be plundered. And so here's the point is that Jesus came to bind up the devil and take back what had been surrendered to him. And so that's the purpose of the cross. So when Satan says, bow down before me and I'll give you the nations, he's essentially saying, I'll give you what you came here for, but the temptation is you can get it without going to the cross. And Jesus knew, I'm coming to get the nations and I'm not going to get them on your term. I'm going to get them on the father's terms. And he's asked me to get the nations by buying them back through my own death. Exactly. So then here we are, that's the story that's going on, and then Jesus goes to the cross. And what happens on the cross, Chris? Well, he takes on the sins of the world and dies, and then defeats death, rises again in victory. Um, Our sin gets placed on him. He becomes a shield, a propitiation, the Bible tells us, against God's wrath, because God's wrath is now deflected on him instead of us. And he, he blocks us from God's wrath by interceding for us before the Father. I just dropped my pen. Amen. Amen. And that's, and that's redemption. That's the work of redemption. That's, that's Jesus going to the cross and buying back sinners. Yeah, the, the, the simple word redeem just means to buy out, right? Yeah. He bought out our, our debt to him. He bought out our, the consequences for our sins. He bought out our mistakes, our inju- injustices before God by his blood. His blood pays the cost that we can't pay on our own because our our deeds are worthless, and so he paid those that price for us. And he who knew knew, knew sin became sin for us, right? So, Amen. So, uh, what we did last time is we walked through a particular text. We didn't leave ourselves a whole lot of time to deal with the text itself, but we needed to get here in the story. So we're going to read a little bit of Romans chapter three. And uh, Chris, why don't you start us off then, maybe at. Uh, uh, verse 10 of Romans 3, and we'll go down uh, through to verse, you know, 26 or so. And uh, and this will kind of talk about redemption that's in, that's found in Christ, and, and this will kind of sum things up for us so we understand in the meta narrative, in the grand narrative of Scripture, where we are right now as we get to redemption. Absolutely. Romans 3, verse 10. As it is written, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they became worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouths are full of uh, curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So that's... The summary of where we are post-fall, right? <laughs> yeah. That's it, it paints a pretty bleak picture of humanity. And, and the point is we talk about redemption, and, and really one of the main points of the entire Old Testament is God training his people and showing us historically, personally, um, sovereignly, that we cannot save ourselves. Exactly. Redemption is not possible without God himself intervening. Well, exactly. If you just look at that text, if you just read those eight verses— and then try to claim 
I can get there on my own. I can, I'm a good person. I've done good things. Read what the scripture actually right. says about the state of humanity without the blood of Christ to shield us from God's wrath. Right. Their throat is an open grave. Yeah. They use their tongues only to deceive. It's yeah. the, the language can't be any more strong that yep. we are hopeless. And, and just as an aside here, Chris, um, you know, I love, I love the verse, no one seeks for God. I love, I love the way modern translations uh, translate that just because we talk a lot about our seeking friends, right? Oh, they're seeking, right? Or, or, or being seeker sensitive at church. Biblically, there's no category for a seeker. There's an enemy of God, and then there is a son of God. And the only thing that makes an enemy of God a son of God is the intervening work of Christ. Yeah, if you, you want to take it a step further, the Bible, Bible actually says there are dead people and right. there are alive people. Right. The alive people are alive in Christ. The dead people are dead in their sins. There's, right. There is no, he's almost alive. There's almost, yeah. he's almost resurrected. Right. That's there's, only in the princess bride. <laughs> <laughs> he's only sort of dead. Yeah. Uh, there's none of that in the Bible. And right. then the Bible makes no apologies for that. Right. Which is, I think, another thing I know before I came to understand this doctrine, the natural temptation would be like, oh, well, this doesn't feel right. But the Bible seems to make no, actually it makes no apology, apology for, for this. Right. It, you're either dead or alive. And that's how it's been since the beginning. Dead in your sins, alive in Christ. Amen. All right. So, uh, so jump down to verse 21 and, and keep going there for us. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Amen. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because he, because in his divine forbearance, he passed over the former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just as the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Amen. So, I mean, it, that's really the summary of redemption right there is, uh, this idea that you are, you're dead in your trespasses. You are separated from the, uh, the righteousness of God, separated from relationship with God, but God in his mercy sent Jesus to be our redemption, to be the propitiation, which essentially the etymology of the word propitiation is uh, is actually um, to, to essentially be a shield, to be something that absorbs the blow on your behalf. So you think about a you know a gunshot or something, and you think about a uh, you know a, a bodyguard who jumps in in front of the person they're guarding and takes that bullet for, for the president or whoever, then uh, um, that's that's acting as a propitiation. It's to come between something and to to ward off sort of a death blow. So that that's that's it. It's uh, we are justified by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, who God put forward as a propitiation to be received by faith. And I love uh, how it ends there in verse. Uh, 26, that he might be just and the justifier. That's actually, if you look at the Greek word there for just and justifier, it's actually the same word that we use for righteous. Um, but there isn't, there isn't that form of the word righteous. It'd be like the righteous, that he might be both righteous and the righteous sapphire, <laughs> right? Which isn't really a word. So they go just and justifier. But the idea here is that God can make us righteous while remaining righteous himself 
because he himself took the punishment. So it's a it's a beautiful look, and that's and that's essentially that's the redeeming work of Christ. If you if you're wondering that since we only used almost one text to just sh- kind of show that there are some other places that you can go in scripture Plenty, just to yeah. quickly see this, just one off the off the cuff here would be First Timothy two six. It says, "Where am I here?" Um, who, speaking of Christ Jesus, gave himself as a ransom for all. Um, we see this in Matthew twenty. What was it? Matthew twenty twenty eight, um, Colossians. We see this all like all yeah. through these Ephesians all through these books. two, like Ephesians one to two. ten. But God being rich in mercy, yeah. Like this is this is a theme in the New Testament because yeah. the kingdom has come, but we are saved by grace. Amen. And so this is what the foundation of what the apostles taught us on that the kingdom has arrived, which we're going to speak about next week. Yeah, and that we are saved by grace. Amen. So the, the, this is really, this is the climax of the story. The center of the story is the cross and the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. And the point here is that it is only by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as revealed in Scripture alone, for the glory of God alone, uh, that any of us are saved, any of us are justified, any of us are redeemed. And so this beautiful part of the story is that God has won back the world and in it the people. And so one by one now, uh, he, as Colossians says, uh, takes people, and and the the language there suggests takes them kicking and screaming from the kingdom of darkness into the glorious kingdom of light of uh, his son, Jesus Christ. And so that's redemption, and that's uh, the climax of this grand narrative. And uh, we could talk and do a zillion podcasts on uh, on the work of Christ on the cross, and we would not exhaust it. And so, um, just since we didn't exhaust the topic, and we can't exhaust this topic, um, just throw maybe two or three book suggestions to us, um, and uh, uh, of of maybe something that like ones that come to mind for me would be uh, the Cross of Christ by John Stott. Uh, right, living the cross-centered life by C.J. Mahaney is is one for sure that comes to mind. Uh, you could think about the the explicit gospel by Matt Chandler. Are there any books that come to mind off the top of your head that just kind of expouse the glory of the the cross and the redeeming work of Christ? Uh, yeah, Future Grace by John Piper. I Amen. would say yeah, I, for sure. That, I've read that recently enough that I I can remember it. Um, gospel Deeps by our boy Jared Wilson. Um, yep. That's a that's a great one that expounds what the gospel actually means to us. Right. Um, just Re- some just some recovering redemption by Matt Chandler is right along this line. Oh, I forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, it's a good one too. I don't. I haven't read all of his books yet. Matty Chan. I should confess that now. Do I have to be prayed? Well, that's why he hasn't come on our podcast yet. That's just my fault. yeah. Until you read all his books, he won't come on. So get on that. <laughs> uh, next week, yeah, <laughs> Matt yeah, yeah. Chan. No, I'm just kidding. Um, last thing I just wanted to say about redemption. If you're if you're listening to this podcast, we do have some. We know that there's some people who are still checking out this whole idea, and we know that nobody's seeking for God, but there are some people who would be listening to us because they have connections to us personally, but not through our church or our faith. They're just friends of us through other avenues. And you're, and you're wondering what are the benefits of redemption? Like, what does it matter to me? I I just would, I just would point out some of the quick things that the Bible tells us just kind of an overview of benefits of redemption. One eternal life. We, there is no mere mortals. C.S. Lewis, I think has said, you've never met a mere mortal. Everyone will spend eternity somewhere, either with God or apart from God. We see this in the Bible in Revelation chapter 5. So we know that there's an eternal state. Forgiveness of sins. 
we all know that we have all fallen short of the glory of God. Ephesians 1, 7 tells us that we need forgiveness of our sins. Uh, we've talked about this today, righteousness, freedom from the law's curse. Those, those things are huge in terms of redemption. Adoptions into God's family, deliverance, peace with God. And we also get the indwelling life of the Holy Spirit that seals us in, in Christ. The, the benefits of understanding this doctrine is massive. And if you're sitting here listening to this podcast and you haven't checked this out, don't, don't leave right now. Go find a New Testament, open to the book of Matthew or the book of John, book of Romans, and just read that and ask yourself the questions. Does this describe who I am right now? Or does this describe who I, who I should be in Christ? And then answer those questions yourself. And I and I would just say, you know, um, everybody in life, uh, we read today that nobody seeks for God, but you're seeking for something. You're seeking for pleasure. You're seeking for uh, satisfaction. You're seeking for fulfillment. You are seeking for um, all kinds of different things. And the reality is, is that we all have this idea of who we think we should be. We, we want to be richer. We want to be uh, better looking. We want to have better relationships. We want to be more successful. But the truth is, you could be the exact person that you want to be in, in, in your mind, and you will still be as frustrated with that person as you are right now, because ultimately what you need is not found in money. It is not found in pleasure. It is not found in relationships. It's only found in having your relationship with the one one who created you um, brought back into fullness. And so the only thing that satisfies, truly satisfies, is the uh, relationship with Christ that brings us back into relationship with the Father. And so I would just encourage you to be aware of your sin and cry out for your need for a Savior. Amen. And that's what we do all this for. So that's uh, that's kind of our, our podcast on redemption. Um, Anything you want to close up with there, Chris? Uh, nope. Just uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for continuing to support this ministry. And stay tuned because we're gonna. There's, there's even there's good news in this in this podcast, but there's great news in the next one as well. So. Absolutely. See you next week. Yeah.